0: Welcome to the Waymaker Fireside Chat Podcast, where our purpose is to grow your life and change the world. In this episode, we're sitting down with award-winning creative director, stylist, and entrepreneur, June Ambrose. Lewis Carr is the founder of Waymaker, the Lewis Carr Internship Foundation, the Blueprint Men's Summit, president of media sales at BET Networks, and author of Dirty Little Secrets. Today, we'll sit down with June Ambrose to discuss her experience designing for and working with clients such as Missy Elliott and Sean Puffy Combs, as well as creating for brands like Gucci and Puma. We'll also analyze how she has reinvented herself and delve into her advice to the Waymaker listeners. Let's get started.
1: Good afternoon. I'm Lewis Carr, and I am the founder of Waymaker, and welcome to a Fireside Chat with Mrs. June Ambrose. My friend, celebrity, some of everything. I don't even know how to refer to her because she's so big. She's so big. So we're gonna, first of all, welcome June. Welcome Thank to, you. Call to me We make Thank
2: because I'm 5'3". And when you say she's so big, people are like, well, how do you meet
1: me? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were taller than five three, because maybe every time I see you, you got our heels.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I don't think you've ever seen me post-pandemic. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, I, I have not. I, I did see you one time running around backstage uh at in a flash. fashion show. Yeah,
2: you uh, must in, be- in,
1: in, in in flash. Flash.
2: You must yeah. have been devastated.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, I was just like, you were giving so many orders and directions. I was kind of scared, like, okay, she might put me to work right now, all right?
2: <laughs> that might have happened. I'm like, any no man standing around.
1: <laughs> so, June, I want to start with the first question. When you do a search, a Google search for June Ambrose, there are all type of titles and descriptions. Everything from creative director, stylist, costume designer, entrepreneur, brand builder, image maker. How do you describe yourself?
2: Mm. Um. I don't know. You know, when I, I live inside of a, the universe, so it's like universe. Uh, yeah. I like that the universe. It's like, you know, an alternate universe. It's a space where I welcome, you know, engaging and meeting and planet hopping and, you know, meeting, you know, everyone that's out there. But I it's really hard for me to describe myself because I've always thought of myself as I always think if I if I could put a title on what I am and it stunts me creatively or it puts me in a box. And you know, I, I entrepreneur is probably the spirit that I've had from a very early age. It's the first thing I could Identify with my hustle, you know. From the time, like when I was in in first grade and kindergarten, I was an entrepreneur. I was making um, pocketbooks and pencil holders out of cray paper and selling them to students. And whether it was five cents or twenty five cents, and I was producing fashion shows, encouraging the parents have your kids after school. Say, have your kids wear the nice outfit tomorrow. We're going to do a fashion show in the lunchroom. And I was coordinating this in first and second grade. So, you know, when I when I think about Describing myself, I'm, I'm I feel like I'm multifaceted and multilayered, I came, I, you know, I was an actress. I worked in investment banking. You know, I went into the music business and started costume designing and you know, creative directing. And it just, how do you put a, how do you describe that in my words? I can't find the words. I get, I only know that I, I I feel creatively empowered. I love collaborating. I I love growing. I love learning. I'm still, I'm still under construction. I'm still at it. I don't know how to, and I I recognize that I have to be able to say exactly who I am because you, I, I told this to my daughter the other day, you can't expect people to see you the way you see yourself. And when they speak of you and if they speak of you in a way that is not the way you see yourself, you may be offended. So, I hold on to knowing exactly who I am, how I want to be perceived and try to get out of the way of, you know, the titles of people saying this is who she is. You know, I think there's so many, so there's always something, someone or something to meet, you know, when it comes to me, you know, I always, when I said nice to meet you, Lewis Carr, it's like you discover something about people every day because I feel like we grow every day. We evolve every day.
1: So th- this is a personal question uh, that I want to know. You've worked with some of the biggest names in entertainment from Jay-Z to Will Smith to Busta to Mrs- Missy Elliott to Janet Jackson. How have you stayed so grounded and nice?
2: <laughs> well, first of all, mm-hmm. thank you. Um, you know, no, I, I'm glad you bring that up because um, you can lose your way in this industry. Um, And self-awareness is super key. You know, when I work with clients, I I try to, you know, I like to show up as me so they can see me and not what they think I should be. Um, And, you know, I always, I said to someone, I said, oh, "Oh, if someone doesn't like you, it's because they don't know you. And I said, that's exactly what I say. I'm like, oh, she doesn't like me or he doesn't like me because they don't know me. Um, But I think, you know, you stay grounded by recognizing that it's such a privilege and an honor to do what you do. You know, I recognize that anyone that, that it works with me, they don't, they're not obligated to that. It's, you know, and that's a blessing and that's, you know, that's, and I have to be gracious. That's the grace. Um, I always feel like you, you get back what you put out and, uh, you know, in, in the universe tends to reward those who are just kind,
1: but, but you don't I'm, seem to have to work at it, June, no matter where I've seen you on red carpets, at black tie events, at fashion shows with some of the biggest celebrities on the planet. You're the same person. You know, I'm sometimes happy. I see people <laughs> and I'm like, uh, should I speak today? Right, right You know, right. I don't know how they're going to come off in this right. environment. So you kind of go like, you know, give them that yeah. little bitty wave because you don't know what you're going to get your but with personality
2: you, is your calling card, right? It's like, it's, it's the it's, same it's not,
1: personality.
2: Yeah. Well, my personality has always been my calling card coming up in the music industry where, you know, certain people will respect if you were taller, you're a model, you respect if you were light skinned. I, I, I went through all of those, you know, um, you know, the, the, those prejudices amongst our own people, you know, um, and, your personality holds value. It's your calling card. Before they even know engage, know work with you, know that you're talented, they have to want to spend time with you. And I that is my superpower. I, I, I like me. Um, you know, and I think that's and it breaks me, it breaks my heart. Oh my, god. oh my god. Sorry, but it breaks my heart when people aren't nice. I but I'm also the girl that um that. Can you bring that? Oh, so sorry. These I had these custom dolls made for my 50th birthday out of Bali and they sent they sent these June um they made these June dolls and it's I'm gonna introduce you to um her right now.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a shocker for me, all right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then, and then, you know, you have all these little ones, oh. <laughs> <that are dressed. laughs> and I was going to give them to all my friends for my birthday anyway. Oh, that is great. That's so cute. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. Um, okay. So what I was saying. Yeah. So, but I'm also the girl that when I was younger and I heard an ambulance going in, in the streets, I would like literally start crying because I'm like, someone's dying. You know, like it was just my mother was like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, someone's dying. She's like, I would would freak out because an ambulance or a police car meant that someone was in trouble. Someone needed help and they were dying. And um, I think my heart still breaks when I, you know, I'm still that person. I really do care how. Someone feels or they're affected by it. the power of words or someone inflicting harm onto someone. That really, it, I feel it.
1: So you you started your professional career in an industry that's not known for nice people either. Investment right. banking. <laughs> right. But no one you don't go looking like, for a nice no person. That, in it. No
2: one that looked like me neither. I was like the youngest yeah. uh, one of, of color spe- specifically um, at the firm. And, um, there was, there was no one that looked like me. There was one other guy, a brown person He worked in the mailroom. Um, but I, I found my way there. I was fortunate enough. There was an opportunity. I was in the research department. This was before things were computerized and you can Google. This is before Google. And there was like the libraries were our friend. And I was like, you know, the girl Friday, all the. Guys on the floor had to come to me for research information. I'm looking for information on this. I'm looking for this. I'm looking for that. And I would bring them all the analytics and all the stuff like that, which was like a great also learning environment because I, you know, I made friends. They tell me what I needed to, what my portfolio needed to look like. I didn't know what that was when I went in you know, I'm 19 years old and I'm in this, you know, I knew that I wasn't a corporate girl. I didn't fit the bill. I wasn't, this wasn't my career. This was a job. Let's be very clear. Like okay. I knew that this was a job and I recognized, I, I learned the difference between having a career and having a job. And you know, the career is the thing that you can't put down. You can't let go of it, you eat, sleep and drink it. You just, you get excited about the little things. And mm-hmm. there was nothing exciting about this. Only got exciting after I left and I was in a stable financial place um, is when it got exciting because I realized how valuable the lesson was, how important all of those things that I took away from the company had prepared me for, going out and taking, I was able to do an internship. It was a very short-lived internship, but I was able to do that, leave a paid job and do that and, and be able to sustain and also have, have health insurance because I, I kept the health insurance, I kept it up. I, I, you know, It lapsed after a certain time, but I recognized as someone who was going off to start their own business or freelance to figure things out, that you needed certain things. And if it wasn't for that, experience i wouldn't understand how important it was for me to find certain aspects that i needed to sustain throughout my career a great accountant a great financial advisor you know all of those things so when i did take off in my career and i started making money i knew exactly where i should put it or at least i had the advisors to tell me where i should put it you know i wasn't just buying clothes which i did at one point i was like god making my fabulous fashions, you know But it was more to it than that. And for someone to pull you early and give you that um, bit of advice is is priceless and it's it's life-changing.
1: So I talk a lot about vision and and people having vision for the future. And if you don't have vision, try to find a vision maker. When did you know that this creative thing was in your DNA? Were you young or did it evolve? (laughs) When, When did you know?
2: From a very young age, like I said, it when I was in first grade, I was in kindergarten. Like we didn't have, growing up, I grew up in a single parent home in the Bronx, lived in a tenement, one bedroom tenement, my sister, my mother and I, and my fire escape was my backyard. And we didn't have a nanny. We didn't have the internet game, you know, game. we didn't have that. Yeah, Atari came years later and stuff like that. But our entertainment, you had to be more creative. You, you read more, you played with your dolls. You know, we couldn't be on the streets because my mom, we were latchkey kids. We'd come from school and we had, and I would find myself cutting up curtains, making looks for my Bobby dolls. You know, I, I wasn't sending my mother out to buy them. I had to dress it up myself at a cash register. I was selling things in my store. I was, you know, things out of the pantry. I was, I was I had my own business. That was my, you know, create, like that was my pastime. You know, I would go on my fire escape for a play date through the fence. I would, you know. Sell things to the fence. I would talk to my friends and have dates to the friends because they could go out and I couldn't be out. And you learn to be more creative when you don't have. And I think that um, that's my creativity came from, you know, it's interesting, to have it's like this moment of not having, but then also feeling extremely rich. Like I didn't feel like I was like someone was punishing me or we were impoverished and we were struggling. The little bit that we had, and it depends on how you quantify wealth. And I learned how to quantify wealth from a very early age and understood like, you know, how valuable being protected is, how valuable having, you know, a safe space and, and, and watching, you know, having the osmosis of gathering all this osmosis from a, a, a mother, a single mom, working tirelessly with never not complaining, just doing the work to take care of her girls and protect them. And watching that was like the, the biggest blessing and privilege and honor. And, and I felt safe and I felt like I didn't want for nothing. And, um, you know, I owe that to her. You know, I owe her to be successful because what she sacrificed was for that. So I feel like if I fail it not living a full, you know, full potential, then I'm doing her a disservice, her hard work, a disservice. So it's really what drives me
1: so you, you've done so many different things uh creative director designer would you call all of these things reinvention or evolution
2: oh um that's interesting because <laughs> i um, i use both those phrases, those words all the time I'm always like I'm under construction I was like I, I always try to reinvent myself because I just feel like you're good as your last job and, you know, people, you have to stay relevant, especially in this business. How do you evolve is what you've gathered along the way. So as I'm reinventing myself and discovering a new, who I want to become and, you know, I started writing little notes to myself years ago and asking permission to myself to become this person, you know, and I go back and I look at them sometimes and just to, to, to make sure that I was living up to myself not anyone else's expectation, but what I ask of myself, because when I, the things that I don't get done, I ask for grace and I say, you know, forgive me for, you know, not completing this, but let's try again. And sometimes we're so hard on ourselves, we get anxious, we start measuring our success to others and we panic. And I try to pace myself and in pacing myself, I discover new things like, you know, every birthday, every trip around the sun, I celebrate 30 days of June Hence what my name is June and my birthday's in June. And, um, and I, um, I, I, I talk about what I'm so grateful for in, in, in every day. And I make a wish that I can manage to, you know, evolve and manifest new things in that next journey around the sun.
1: So you've also worked with some of the biggest brands on the planet, not just celebrities, Gucci, Levi, and now Puma. Tell us about those experiences and what did you learn from that?
2: Well, I think definitely being able to align yourself with Fortune 100 and 500 companies, 100 companies is super important. I've done a number of um, deals throughout my career. and. It's int- I, I sit in a very interesting space because here I am as someone who works who has committed to working behind the scenes anonymously to help to create and build brands for companies and labels and artists and such but then I also sit in front of the camera where I then am someone who is celebrated and you know and able to um, communicate with the consumer and engage with the consumer and and have the consumer trust my authority and my ability to say, you know, this is something that you either should have or believe. That I can it can change your life. So I'm on both sides. I sit in a very unique space of being, you know, uh, behind the scenes and in front of the in front of the camera. And I, I think that's, I think because of that and understanding that, as I was building other brands, recognizing the power of my own, and having vision to know where I wanted to be. And I remember I started off as a theater major and as an actress, so. I never felt like there was a room that I couldn't walk into and play the role, right? So whether I'm working with, you know, uh, a, a p g or a Levi's or Gucci or any, you know, any of these companies, I knew that I needed to become or be, you know, I knew how to manifest myself into that into that space and how to work on delivering what they needed, right? And how to speak to that consumer and how to engage with them in a way. At the end of the day, it's all consumer facing, you know,
1: everything. But where did you get that confidence from, June? Because all of those industries are non-diverse, all right? Yeah. Those industries are male dominant, all right? Mm-hmm. And you've or been able- Or oh, white dominant. White yeah. dominant. You've been able to be successful so there'll be I mean, a lot of people reading and listening to this to say, figure out like, how does she do that though? You know, when there were so much headwinds in front of you and you talk about, you knew that you could do it. Where did you get that confidence right. to be able to function and be successful in those environments?
2: you know, I, it's, um, I, it, fearlessness is, what an amazing asset to have and and also not being afraid of the word no um but you got to steady yourself you know you can't you can't survive any storm if you yourself if your sail is not strong right and it's like you know you have to be resilient and you have to steady yourself you have to ground yourself knowing that this is who I am I don't have to compromise who I am I'm enough and I knew I was enough from a very early age because my mom didn't, she didn't hush me or she didn't produce me in a way that I felt like I needed to tone down or, you know, I was precocious. And then, you know, that's when you, I'm a West Indian parent, speak when you're spoken to was something that was a thing. Somehow it, it didn't really, you know, as long as I wasn't speaking in, in, a, in a derogatory way, in a hateful way, and my voice mattered. And I think what you do when you, when you allow your kids to have uh, an opinion and a voice in a, in, a, in a real constructive way, if you teach them how to communicate in a way, then you know the voice, I think every child's voice matters. It's a pure voice. It's one that hasn't necessarily been affected by society, especially if you catch them at a young age and you always use, use your words. And my mom encouraged us, me to always use my words. So I knew that words had power and I knew that I could just ask for something and not be afraid of the word no, then I was halfway there. And um, I would always ask for what I wanted, you know? It was always like, can I have? And as an adult, I don't say, you know, people always say, what would you tell your young self? No, what would my young self tell me now? Because as we get older, we become more afraid, we have more responsibility, we have to adult. And we're afraid to make the moves, you know, that could affect us in a, in a negative way because our stakes are higher. There's no one else to take care of us. But I also asked my young self, you know, just give me the courage. Tell me not to be afraid like you were back then. And I have to constantly tap into that fearless child who wasn't afraid to ask and hear no. Because some, you know, if you do it good enough, you, if you work hard enough and you're good, you won't hear as many no's. You know, so I focus more on the work and being, um, being effective and coming to the table with something that is of, of purpose and solution. And working with you know, the celebrities and companies I've worked with over the years, that's been one of the key ingredients is you know, recognizing how important it is to be transparent, how important it is for you to offer your expertise, your expert opinion, to be collaborative, to be a good listener, be empathetic, Um, you know, these are things that, you know, patience, I had to learn patience. It's not something we're naturally, we're naturally born with. And you think about how we came into this world. We were very, we didn't have patience, not even to wait for milk to be fed, to be wet. We had no patience. As soon as we were wet, we cried, you know? So there was, we weren't, we have to, we have to learn patience, (laughs) you know? So Totally. I, constantly, and even with my kids, I'm very empathetic to their growth process because I try to remember what it was like when I was their age, how afraid I was, or how inquisitive I was, and when I started to feel myself, how I needed to be in control and have an opinion, and you know, and how important it was for me to make decisions myself. I have to remind myself constantly because we want to protect our, our children as naturally as parents, but sometimes you do it to the point where they can't experience the things they need to experience in order to grow. So I try to use all of these things. Kids don't come with a manual. I didn't come with one. I was Every kid is different. I'm a unique, but I, I, if I had to write a book about it, I would just be truthful. You
1: know? I do a lot of work with uh, academic institutions all around the country, and I've had this relationship and attraction to young people, right? And uh, I was talking to some professors, and they said, Lewis, Why do you think that young people are so attracted to you? Because I said, I remember when I was young. Mm -hmm. And I start off with every mistake you probably have made and will make. uh, Trust me, I've done that. All right. Right. And when you give that kind of transparency, right, people kind of go, okay, I can talk to him. So Mm -hmm. here at Waymaker, we believe that every successful person on the planet has had a Waymaker. Mm Tell us about some of the people who have made a way uh, for your success in your life.
2: Mm. Um, I mean, I, I, I think the number one person would be my mother. And I talked about her, through, you know, throughout this entire conversation. She was my North Star. You know, she still is, um, even though she's transitioned over and she's, you know, um, I still look for to guidance. She is my God, you know, and and. and um, she, she, you know, she really pointed the way. Um, and then you meet people as you go out on your own and you, you know, you have great, you know, publicists that say to you, if you can't figure it out, always wear black, just take, or, or always bring options. Then you're in an environment where you're seeing people like Sylvia Rome's, you meet Connie Orlando's, you know good friends good like focused you know young women who have you know this uh, self pre, this presence that's like so steady and calm and consistent and i think consistency i've always navigated around consistent people and i like being around like minded people so i'd always look for people who were who were like minded and felt consistent and intentional and those were the people that I like to surround myself, I mean, I've never had a drink or smoke in my life. I grew up in rock and roll, drugs and rock and roll, you know? And when I say grow up, I'm talking about like in my 20s is when I was growing, as professionally growing up. And you had to make a lot of decisions of who you wanted to be to fit in. And I realized long ago that I didn't need to fit in. <laughs> that actually not fitting in was what made me so interesting and unique and desirable. Right so i chose to be opposite of everything that was around me um, but you know along the way i met some extraordinary you know women and, and 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 men who who or hes or shes who who wanted to see me win um and who tried, who believed in me you know who gave me a shot jay gave me a shot you know puff gave me a shot missy gave me a shot you know Suveron gave me a shot height williams gave me a shot like, you know, all these, like, you know, my early, my girl who gave me a shot, you know, they didn't have a lot to go on, you know, um, uh, call, you know, um, Carl call gave me a shot? I was the marketing director, um, at cross calls and Carl can for some years and Carl Jones gave me a shot, you know, um, him and his partner gave me a shot. So like everyone that I've come in contact with, my principal gave me a shot. That's how I got the investment banking, you know, uh, position because my principal, came to his office and they were like, you know, you have any students that are, you know, they're college bound, but they might wanna take this as an alternative to, this program mm-hmm. as an alternative to it, pays well, blah, blah. so I took the opportunity. But he, he he called on me, he gave me a shot. Um, but I also put myself in the position where I could be seen. And I always tell people that, you know, don't take any environment for granted. You know, you can, you can be wallpaper And, but you want to be beautiful wallpaper. You want to be, and not just visually, but like spiritually, so that you can attract, you know, the right kind of art around you. And that's what I did. I I recognized metaphorically, like all of these things were so significant
1: to my growth. Because you've been around so many successful people, Mm -hmm. think back for a minute. Mm -hmm. And what was some of the best advice that you've ever received? that made such a difference in who you are.
2: Years ago, when I was young, I don't think I've ever told this story. Um, My mom used to take us down to the neighborhood I live in now. CBS Studios used to be by the United Nations. And my mom, my aunt was a tour tour guide there. She was an usher and tour guide. My mom took us down for a tour. And I remember going into the studio and, you know, and, Tugging on one of the directors and saying, you know, um, how, um, how do I, I was like, how do I become a star? That's what I said to him. And he said to me, oh, I can't make you a star. No one can make you a star. You just have to be. And I said, oh, thank you. And, and I looked at him and said, I'm a star. And, you know, listen, being a star is not just being in front of the camera, it's not just, you know, being a musician, it's being, you know, being able to light up a room, to light up a space, you know, to be seen in a beautiful way. And that bit of advice, he says, you know, he says, oh, yeah, you know, I can't, make, no one can make you anything. You you have to, you have to just, it's what you, it's what you want, it's what you, you know. And I said, okay. So <laughs> I know it's like that bit of advice was so important. And then, you know, someone else told me, you know, look the part, you know, if you want, to attract certain things, you want somebody to pay you a million dollars? Well, look a million dollars, you know, and it's not just go out and buy a bunch of expensive clothes, but do everything you can do to, to really preserve the vessel, to, to polish it, to make it, you know, I've seen people with coming out of tenements and projects, fresh haircut, clean face, mama grease their face nice, you know, clothes <laughs> pressed, look the part. You know, don't let the, don't let the environment, you know, dictate, you know, your life. And I, I grew up in what, in the South Bronx, it's like, it was like Iraq, you know, if I let that environment take hold of me, you know, who knows where I would be right now. But I had dreams and aspirations. And, you know, when someone tells you, you know, like all the little nuggets, you know, don't spend all your money in one place, you know, those kind of things. Always put something away for a rainy day you know, these, the, all these little bits of advice. I mean, there's there so much advice. That I, I just said this to this uh, photographer the other day. He says, you know, oh, young photographer. Everyone's telling me what to do. You know, they're giving me all this advice. And I said, well, be careful who you take advice from. I said, because, you know, sometimes you take advice from somebody who hasn't even walked in, walked in any shoe. <laughs> you know what i so, <laughs> You know, so, and, and also at the end of the day, no matter what advice you get, You have to go with your gut. Even if you're wrong, the experience is gonna take you a long way. Advice is great, but you gotta sometimes trust your instincts and trust yourself. And sometimes you get so much advice, you get confused, and you get late, you just like, "Well, well, this person said to do it this way. Textbook. And our lives are not textbook, it's still being written, you know, and sometimes, you know, it's like, we're, we're, you know, our, our, it's not like a, a hardcore typewriter. You make a mistake, you got to find white out. You know, we, we're deleting things now. We delete trauma. We delete people on social, out of the universe. Like, oh, word canceled, delete. Like this is the culture that we're living in right now, where people are like, can
1: get rid of you. Well, I'm gonna ask you for some advice. So people have been in COVID for 15 months. So they've been in sweats, they've been in Zoom yeah. clothes. So we're coming out, right? Everybody busting out of their houses now. Endemic. Endemic. Right. So is the things that were in before COVID still in, or is this a, a new sort of fashion world industry that we are coming out of COVID? And what's the hot look and the do and not to do as we sort of come out of COVID? Advisors.
2: Well, I think we come out of COVID a lot more aware of ourselves, right? We've spent, we've had 15 months to reevaluate um, what we need and what we don't need. You know, I know personally I have evaluate like what's what's too much, what's too little, you know, what we, what you really need to survive. So I think you start to collectively, we all took a look at ourselves, our lifestyles, everything. And it depends on how you want to come out of it and what your lifestyle is on the other side, because people's lives change since COVID. You know, people's bodies change, people's lifestyle change. And it's really about how you want to come. Like, do you want to come out in a full gown and suited and booted? Or you're like, do I want to wear my sports jacket, my sweats, you know, and no socks now with my loafers and jeans? It depends. You know, like, am I taking sportswear and mixing it with luxury? Am I taking sportswear and mixing it with, you know, uh, I personally love the idea of a glamorous, relaxed look. Um, that's like what I discovered that I'm actually okay with.
1: <laughs> and, des- and describe that for us, Joe. What is a glamorous, relaxed look?
2: Like I, I have on this-, this dress today, you know, and it's like this flowy frock meets militant uh, Kilimanjaro, but I wore it with sneakers, you know? Okay. Pre-pandemic, I would have had it on with heels. And not to say, but I also wear my heels with my sweatpants and a blazer and a camisole. So taking things out of context and, you know, like I liked... I loved, you know, how much fun I had under quarantine in a sense, because I was living in a temporary apartment with a curated closet and you learn to be more creative. You learn, you, for me, it was a complete, uh, it was a great reset, you know? Um, so when when I, when I, you step back into the real world, you kind of have a different perspective on everything. Like, it's like, do I really need this? Like, how is this gonna change my life? Or should I really focus on, on this right now? And I, it, it changed, I think it, it changed everyone's focus, at least it did for me. And I'm seeing the people that are around me, it also made them different. Everyone's different, in my opinion, and we should be. That's what this was for. You know, it was one of, it was that cycle that we had, you know, that hundred years since the pandemic, right? Since this kind of, this level of what we're under, we're still experiencing it.
1: So you you mentioned sneakers. Tell us about your work with Puma.
2: Um, it was it's the 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 Puma project could not have been more timely I had signed the contract with Puma maybe th- two months before the pandemic we went into lockdown and what was so great about the timing of it was that i um, i was able to um, really focus and design the collection there were no distractions the difficult part was not necessarily going about the normal way of Um, putting together your creative boards and having fittings and meetings and waiting for samples and all that kind of that part was a little unorthodox a little frustrating working with the technical design team and my merchandising team and stuff like that on the other side and communicating with China during a time when it was very difficult for them so you know and it was my first time working the brand. so it it wasn't the traditional way of working on things but it was um Um, it was good for me to kind of really just focus and, and because I'm launching a division for the brand, um, the stakes were, you know, higher. It was super important that I developed the, I had to, I had to figure out who our woman was, right. I had to design our customer so that I could speak exactly to her, you know, he and she, um, today. Right. So, Working with an in a gender neutral place, even though this is a women's basketball collection, we still I really wanted to kind of have this gender neutral conversation and address what that looks like. But I also wanted to use the use use the opportunity to really you know address Title Nine and, and address how you know women in basketball are under underserved you know sports division and and everybody recognizes that now. Every brand is starting to. Uh, Focus on that, and you know, celebrate them in that way. But there's work to be done, you know, within women in sports. Whether it's you know, and and style is a sport. The collection is is style meets sport. Is on and off the court. Is inspired by, you know, women in basketball. Um, so being able to bring fashion to a sports space um, has been really um, great. And but I've done it. I've done it in my career before. You know, at a luxury level when I was doing leather jogging suits and stuff like that and working with luxury fabrics and, you know, in um, sportswear silhouettes. It, it was the same conversation of elevating, you know, a particular uh, conversation and situation.
1: So you've worked with a lot of women. You've worked with a lot of men. Do mm-hmm. You prefer women or men when you're working. I mean, who's easier?
2: Oh, I, I don't have a preference. I mean, obviously, you know, a woman's body comes in various, we are the most complex creatures in the world. Um, but I don't have a preference in terms of, oh, I like yeah, working with men is easier. So what am I supposed to like it because it's easier? No, I, I love the, but the dynamic of working with a man is so much different than working with a woman. And I approach them, you know, from a clinical place. So it's always going to be a different experience. And I don't I don't I don't have um, I, I don't really have one over the other. I, I think that as a skill set I think I should be able to do both and um, yeah I don't like to do things that are too easy all, all the time either so I think
1: I love okay job. well here's a, here's a tough question. You, you, you've had an amazing career uh, with uh, amazing interactions with some of the the biggest names in entertainment but you're also, a mom mm-hmm. and a wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, how have you been able to balance it? And do you believe that you're one of the women who have it all?
2: Oh God, no! I mean, <laughs> I don't even know what that looks like. Um, I'm content with what I'm um, able. What I'm able to. I'm able to um, how how. I'm content with the fact that I'm I'm enough to my family, right? They get me. They they are very gracious. They know that I am all over the place. It's very hard to, you know, all of my shortcomings, they give they are very they're very gracious. <laughs> and the things that I excel at, they celebrate me. And for that, I am very grateful. Yeah, there're things that I'm not that great at and um you know, but I, again, I give myself grace. I, I can't be, you know, I can't do everything, right? And I have to, ba- and, and balance is, is, is difficult, but what's not, what was difficult initially was asking for help, because I wanted to do it all by myself, you know? And learning the dynamics of co-parenting and all that, because everybody grew up in that environment. So I had to learn that dynamic. That's made me a, a better partner, a, you know, a better person um being able to say I need help and ask for help and di- the di- so that part is good. Um, but you know, I spend I come first. And I know parents don't like to say that. Moms especially is almost like oh, she's so self-consumed. But if I don't come first, how do I take care of everybody else? You know, like I have to have my alone time, I have to have my soap, I like to cook, I like to do, but I love doing things for my family. I love, you know, I love making a meal, I love them enjoying it. You know, I love movie night. I love, like all these things are like so important to like just a balanced lifestyle. And I've also learned to cut it off, like work, end it, stop, you know, and um, have quality family time. I didn't know what that, I didn't know how to do that for a very long time. My kids would just so, always with me and I was like on the move.
1: So, you know, most successful women always say, I feel so guilty. I just feel so guilty. Oh because no. I <laughs> give some <laughs> advice to give some advice to women who who say that all the time I don't can't have, have both, enough time
2: you don't you can't have it both ways you know what I mean it's like you know you, you it's like and and I think communication is key like I say to my kids like you know I'm doing this for us you know it's like well come along with me come with me i'm I'm fortunate enough to have a career that my kids can spend time with me while I work they grow up in the industry that you know they know it's like, they understand when they started to go to school and they couldn't travel with me, they knew exactly what I was doing. They knew what it looked like. And they had a clear understanding. And I also was able to provide, you know, for them to have care, have someone look after them, you know, be able to fly them out and do certain things and all that stuff. So you can't have it both ways. What am I feeling guilty for? I did everything I can to give them a better life than I had. What should I feel guilty? Because I couldn't spend... I missed a birthday, I missed a graduation. I mean, it sounds crazy and cruel, but when I speak to them about it, they say, no, it's okay. Because they and they they give me permission. You only feel guilty when you haven't had the conversation. If I'm honest and transparent with you, and I'm saying to you, breaks my heart that I'm not here. I love you, I wanna be there with you, but you know where mommy is, or you know, you know, there's a difference. But it's when you don't check in or when you're feeling yourself and you're making all this money, you're feeling sexy and you're not there. And then when you, and the, and, the, and the beauty is when you can be there, you are there, you're present. You know, that's what, you only feel guilty when you're not fully there when you have committed the time to do, to, to do that. So when I'm committed to mothering and parenting, I'm there. So there's no guilt. But when I'm not there, I don't feel guilty because I'm like, you know, I, 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 do, I do the work, I do my part. And I spent a lot of time with my kids, you know? I spent a lot of time. Uh, when I tell you they were attached to me by the hip, I was on Bonnie and Clyde in Mexico, breastfeeding my son uh, with J&B in Mexico, shooting, uh, you know, that Bonnie and Clyde
1: video. It's like, they were always with me, you know? Right. On the move. Right. I didn't so miss the the kid. So the key you would say is communication, making sure everybody- Communication,
2: gets- inclusivity. Even in our homes, we have to be inclusive. You know what I'm saying? Giving them choices. Would you rather do this or would you rather that? What do you think? And when they get to that age, they don't remember when they're young and you weren't around. It's when they, those informative years is when you gotta bring them in closer. So I did the work, you know, the hard, hard stuff. So when they're teenagers, I could be there for them. I could spend time, I can, they can, you know, I, when I was not around, is when they don't. they don't even remember. Well, my daughter did say, she said, you were, you, this pandemic, she said to me, you were gone a lot. You know, she was like, this is the most time I've spent. with you." I was like, really? I didn't even know. (laughs) But she was like, it's okay. You know. That's that's great. I'm so grateful for your partner. You was like, you know, because they, you have the the beauty of a dynamic. And listen, some mothers don't have that. My mom didn't have that. You know, the beauty of jumping on a flight and running all over the country, you know, the country and the world. Like I did because. You know, um, you don't always have that. And both of us were traveling. So the kids dealt with both parents traveling and working and, and being gone and the dynamics of that. But again, we were very, they saw mom and dad working. They saw that, dad, the negotiations of this and they always would hear the calls and stuff like that. They know, they knew they were always right by side. They were always in the, I would bring them to my office. They would do their homework there. They were always around. The nannies would pick them up, make them do, you know, like it was it was a team. You know, we had a system. So you got to produce your life. You got to know you're the CEO of your home and you got to run it like a, you know, you got to run it like a business and some of it like a business. Then you got to run some of it like a hospital, nurturing and giving them oxygen when they need oxygen. (laughs) You know, you got to, when they get, so it's like, you know.
1: Final question, are there any new projects or things you're working on you can tell us about?
2: um (laughs) no okay but listen i'm the the puma project is one. you know everything else is you know i'm a true my motto is you talk about it when it needs to be consumer engaging when you need when it's time for it to make sense to, to have the conversation you know you meet people they're like oh yeah i'm doing this i'm doing that i'm doing this and it's like a year later you're like well how'd that go so what's the point of me telling you, as I'm in the manifesting building, working on stage? It's nothing you can tangibly even touch now. So what? So I'm. I, I humbly like to wait until I can actually give you something tangible to to talk about, consume or whatever. To me, that has always been my motto. Well,
1: June, um, this has been amazing. This has been amazing. Thank you so much. No, you Tell- amazing. Thank you. To tell our audience how they can follow you, stay in touch with you, and see all the great things you're doing.
2: So I I am fortunate enough to not have an alias. You can follow me at juneambrose.com, at juneambrose on Instagram, at juneambrose on Twitter, at juneambrose on Facebook. I'm at juneambrose. <laughs>
1: Thank you, June Ambrose. We appreciate you. We love you. And you are a role model for all of us. So thank Thank you you. so much.
2: This was an honor and a privilege. Thank you, Louis.
1: You got it, Crystal?
2: I got it. We're all set. Thanks, Crystal. Thank you, June. This was great. You missed your calling. You should be like, I would listen to you on the radio all night.
1: <laughs> well, well, June, look, I have a, a broadcast degree in journalism. It's so and, obvious. And I, it's so and I said it, it, it took so me all funny. these years to put it to work, all right?
2: But it's so obvious. And it's like, they say it's greater later, so that works. <laughs>
1: uh, and, and at the end of the day, uh, I'm creative. I'm just curious about everything. Every single thing. Isn't,
2: well, curiosity keeps you young.
1: Yeah, it does.
2: Yeah, so it, 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 never it, it, stop being curious. It's a beautiful gift.
1: And keep doing what you're doing. You are inspiration, your Thank style, you. your energy, your vision. We need more people like you. Continue to be a waymaker for people. All right.
2: Thank you. Thank you for bringing Waymaker to to uh, yeah. We all need we all need a point of reference. So thank you for this body of work that you're putting together. Very inspiring. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this conversation between Lewis Carr and esteemed designer June Ambrose. What did you enjoy about this episode? Let us know on our social media at Waymaker Culture. You can connect with June at JuneAmbrose.com. And don't forget to claim your first six months of the Waymaker Journal free at waymakerjournal.com. And be sure to enter the Waymaker giveaway by going to waymakercontest.com. Subscribe to the Waymaker Fireside Chat to get notifications each time we release an episode.